Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, we are so glad you're here with us today. Always are. And I am flying solo today. Janie is out of town with our youngest daughter. They're doing some wedding planning. And the way that the schedule just worked out, we just couldn't sync our lives together. And so here I am. But I'm going to do my best, guys. I'm going to miss Janie and her insights and her perspective and her laughter. But that's okay. We're going we're gonna to motor through this. So... Uh, today, and as, and, well, you know, as we always talk about strengthening and preserving the family, one of the ways that we can do that is to help our families cultivate an atmosphere and a culture of positivity and hope and optimism because the world is so toxic around us. In fact, the world is so crazy. And we want to talk about today how to navigate our way through this toxic world that we live in, especially for our youth. Not long ago, as part of my church assignment, I was visiting uh, with some members of a senior living center, and I walked into the apartment of a woman who was probably in her 80s. We just began to talk, and I asked her how everything was going, and she said, horrible, as she pointed to the TV, and I looked over the TV, and I noticed just one of the common 24-hour news stations. I won't mention the network, but a lot of you could probably guess. There's only two or three choices, right? And as she pointed to the TV, she said, our country is going to hell in a handbasket. And you know, I've heard that expression, by the way, my whole life, and no one's really stopped to tell me what that means. But yeah, sure, a lot of us probably feel that way, right? And so I asked this woman in our conversation, I said, how many hours a day do you watch this newscast? She said, this is what I do all day. And I said, I have a way, I have a thought. I have an idea that could help you to be happier. And we talked about some of the other things that she could do in her life to spend uh, her time in more constructive ways. Now, once again, everyone, I'm, I am all about being informed. Certainly, we need to know what's going on in the world. I'm not saying that we just hide out under the ground or in a bunker somewhere. But to spend that much time, it's so imbalanced to spend the majority of our life just watching the news. And I just don't know how that could be healthy for anyone. And so not many years ago, just speaking you know, to this very topic, Elder Kieran, our newest apostle, spoke at BYU. His talk that I would refer to you was called Messages of Love. And here's what he said. He said, we also need to be aware that many of today's messages in the media can cause us to doubt our faith, compromise our convictions, and to view the world through cynical eyes. And that's exactly what happened to this good sister. But we can deflect deceptive messages, Elder Kieran said, with, with our faith intact. If we are connected in a vibrant, continuous stream to the source of truth and to the source of light. And if we have any questions or doubts, he said, we can get our answers from the Father and Creator of this universe through the delicate and precious channels of revelation that operate when we remove all barriers to our hearts. We can choose to look to God and live. And then Elder Kieran shared this very personal experience that I think many of us can relate to. He said that I recently experienced 
a reminder to watch my own digital diet when I had been consumed with a particular strand of a news story one day. I had a sense that I had spent too much time on it, but it was only when I later picked up a book by Elder Dallin H. Oaks and read a few chapters that I became acutely aware of the contrast. The difference between the feelings that I had experienced was like the contrast between night and day. The news I'd been so consumed with left me feeling unsettled and uneasy, while the book brought me peace and a sense of order and calm. And this seems to be a lesson that we need to learn several times over. Well, I, I agree so much with Elder Kieran. And I know that in my own life, as I have fought through some of this anxiety, fear, and terror, that one of the things I have found that grounds me so much is to start every day off with immersing myself in the scriptures and in the words of our living prophets. And as I do that, I feel that that can really, it fortifies me, it gives me strength, and it gives me power. Now, I get it. I know our world is in chaos. We're in turmoil. In fact, I saw a bumper sticker not too long ago that said, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. I get that. It's probably true. I understand once again that we need to be informed. We need to be aware of current events, certainly. But we ought to be balanced in our lives. We can't let the news or the current events of this world just ruin every day of our lives. In fact, I've learned at my own stake that some adults are so angry. They're angry at their spouses. At least they direct the anger to their spouses. They direct the anger to their children. And a lot of most of it's because they're just angry with the world. They're angry with the news. They're angry with a whole bunch of other things. You know, years ago, I met with a family and they decided to take a step away from the church. And not long after they decided to do that, the father confided in me. He said, you know what? I'm really nervous. I'm really afraid. I'm scared of what's going on out there. And as he told me about this, I remember thinking, I, th- I think you picked the wrong time to walk away from the, the only source of safety and truth and peace and happiness. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I visualized my friend on a boat out in the middle, middle of the ocean with waves and winds and in a moment of panic, just cutting the rope and disconnecting himself from the anchor, the only anchor, which is once again, Jesus Christ himself and being just tossed about the sea with every crazy philosophy, idea, fear, worry, news story that's out there. So I would say to everyone, hey, let's take some deep breaths. It's going to be okay. We've got this. We can do it. When Christ taught in the Doctrine of Covenants, what I say unto one, I say unto all, be of good cheer, little children, for I am in your midst, and I have not forsaken you. And I know that, that Christ will not forsake us. And he wants us to be of good cheer. That's a commandment. Be of good cheer, he said in Doctrine and Covenants section 78, for I will lead you along. And I'm so grateful for that, because I know that he will, and I know that he does. So everyone, in case you're not aware, just recently, in January, Elder Christofferson spoke to the Seminary and Institute personnel of the church, and he gave a wonderful talk called Trust in God, and I would recommend it to all of you. I'm sure that if you just went to Google and typed in Trust in God Christofferson, it would probably come up, or if you typed in Trust in God Elder Christofferson uh, seminary and Institute. Anyway, it'll come up. I think it's, someone even told me today it's on our Gospel Library app and we can watch it, but it's an incredible message that I want to draw from 
a little bit today. He said this, he said, I would like to speak to a concern that seems to plague us as never before in our younger generations. I am referring to a very real feeling, very real feelings of anxiety and depression and the bitter fruit that these feelings can engender, including at the extreme substance abuse, self-harm, and even suicide. And Elder Christofferson is going to give us some t- statistics that I would like to share with you. He said that reports of clinical depression among teenagers rose from 13.1% to 29.2% for females, so more than doubles, and then from 5% to 11.5% for males, so also doubling among males. Or in other words, those rates of depression among teenagers for both young men and young women essentially doubles between 2004 and 2021. Now, he said this, among adolescents ages 12 to 17 years of age, 21% had experienced a major depressive episode at least once in their life and 15% in the past year. Now, these figures, Elder Christofferson says, do not take into account the lesser but significant challenge of non-clinical depression and anxiety that affect many more youth. In fact, he said, according to WebMD, nearly 60% of those who suffer from anxiety also suffer from depression and vice versa. Now, what, what some people may be aware of, maybe some aren't aware of, but the church is always conducting studies. The church is doing research all the time. And Elder Christofferson refers to it, and I hope you pay close attention because this is fascinating. He said, church longitudinal studies of member youth, so church members, showed that globally in 2018, 2018, 20 of the youth of the church struggle with clinical levels of anxiety. Of course, this varies, he says, by country and may not be representative of all youth in each country, but the figure for clinical anxiety was in the United States, so here we go, we're going to break it down by country, in the United States, 28% among teenagers, 32% in Chile among teens, In France and Belgium, 16%. Check this out. In South Africa, 46%. Or in other words, almost 50% of all LDS youth in South Africa suffer from anxiety. Taiwan, 18%. And New Zealand, 32%. It feels like no one is immune. Now, we're going to link this. We're going to link this anxiety to to social media here just for a minute. And I will tell you that in Gene Twinge's book, iGen, and guys, if you don't have that book, it's so, it's worth your time. But she does an incredible job in her research of linking uh, social media with depression and anxiety among teenagers. It's it's so prevalent. And uh, the, the research is so compelling. But here's what Elder Christofferson says, now going back to us here for a minute. He says, One relatively new factor associated with the increased prevalence of anxiety and depression is social media use. This has drawn the attention of and warnings from the office of the U.S. Surgeon General. In the United States, it's estimated that 95% of teenagers have social media links, nearly two-thirds using social media every day. Studies have found that these teenagers spend an average of about three and a half hours per day on social media and report that it negatively affects their self-perceptions. 
Elder Christofferson now continues, there are certain patterns of online engagement that predict negative outcomes, cyberbullying, sexting, and doom scrolling. And then Elder Christofferson helps us of the older, older generation. He says, doom scrolling, by the way, for those of you who, like me, have never heard of it, refers to spending long periods of time on one's phone or computer focusing on negative news stories. Apparently, for some, that habit is compulsive and somehow darkly comforting, he says. And then back to him, passive uses of social media, that is spending time reviewing social media content aimlessly, increases feelings of inferiority and negative comparison, while active or purposeful social media use, such as posting, commenting, and connecting, does not have the same negative effect. So that's important for us to know. Research has also shown that there are certain protective factors that can help deter anxiety and depression. And these include physical activity, affection, persistence, and self-control. In fact, in Jean Twenge's uh, book, iGen, she shows how physical activity, uh, being connected to others, going to church, just all the things we probably would have done as kids back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, right? Uh, being on teams, uh, studying, you know, things like that. that those all contributed uh, to healthy self-worth and actually were counteractive to depression and anxiety. Work was another one, and being involved in sports. Now, I want to share this discussion because, of course, we live in the last days, and Elder Holland just shed so much light on this a few years ago. In fact, it's interesting for me to think that this talk was given just about 20 years ago now. Elder Holland had a conversation with a missionary at the, mission, at the missionary training center, and maybe his message then is even more relevant now. Many have asked, is this the hour of the second coming of the Savior and all that is prophesied surrounding that event? Indeed, sometime not long ago after 9-11, I had a missionary ask me in all honesty and full of faith, Elder Holland, are these the last days? I saw the earnestness in his face and some of the fear in his eyes, and I wanted to be reassuring. I thought perhaps an arm around him and some humor could relieve his anxiety a little. Giving him a hug, I said, Elder, I may not be the brightest person alive, but even I know the name of the church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then we talked about being Latter-day Saints. And I said, yes, Elder, we are in the last days, but there's really nothing new about that. The promised coming of the Savior began with the first vision of the prophet Joseph Smith in 1820. So we already have about 184 years of this experience. Of, the, of seeing the second coming in the last days unfold. We can be certain that we are in the last days. And he said, years and years of them. And then I gave him a friendly shake of the hand and I sent him on his way. And then Elder Holland gave this counsel. Once again, I just feel this is so relevant for us today. He said, first, we must never in any age or circumstances let fear and the father of fear, Satan himself, divert us from our faith and faithful living. There have always been questions about the future. Every young person or every young couple in every era has had to walk by faith into what has always been some uncertainty, starting with Adam and Eve in those first tremulous steps out of the Garden of Eden. But now listen, Elder Holland, this is so good. He said, but that's all right. This is the plan. It'll be okay. Just be faithful. God is in charge. He knows your name and he knows your need.
in that same message. And everyone, by the way, I am quoting from Terror, Triumph, and a Wedding Feast. Elder Holland said, God expects you to have enough faith and determination and enough trust in him to keep moving, to keep living, and to keep rejoicing. In fact, he expects you not simply to face the future. That sounds pretty grim and stoic, he said. He expects you to embrace and shape the future, to love it, to rejoice in it, and to delight in your opportunities. God is anxiously waiting for the chance to answer your prayers and fulfill your dreams, just as he always has. But he can't if you don't pray, and he can't if you don't dream, and in short, he can't if you don't believe. Now, I am super impressed by what is going on in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and what continues to go on. In fact, I watched closely as we navigated our way through COVID of how the kingdom of God just continued to roll forward during that entire time. We were calling mission presidents. We were building temples. We were dedicating temples. Missionaries were still doing their work. It was incredible, right? Now, here's the statement. Prophecy, and we see it fulfilled before our very eyes, Joseph Smith. Ready? The standard of truth has been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, company may defame. But the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every year until the purposes of God shall be accomplished. And the great Jehovah shall say that the work is done. But here's the key. Ready? That no unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Now, I was in a meeting not long ago, and uh, it was in a training meeting with some of our general authorities. And, and the presiding officer, the presiding general authority that I'm going to leave unnamed, said, I want to address all the myths out there, especially this one that people are leaving the church in, in droves. We've heard that expression before. He said, unfortunately for some, there's no data to support that whatsoever. In fact, he said, those who resign their memberships, that's about one person per ward per year. And that really hasn't changed since the 1990s. So this narrative that everyone's just driving away from the church is just simply not true. In fact, we now have over 450 missions in the church, the highest in the history of, of the church. We have more missionaries serving, more temples than ever, and that number will continue to increase. Temples will continue to be announced. Missionaries are baptizing 20,000 people every month. One million names a day are added to family search. In fact, in the last three years, President Nelson has announced 35 new temples in 2023, 35 in 2022, and 34 in 2021. There are over 72,000 missionaries serving throughout the world. In 2021, there were 56,000 missionaries. So we're climbing. And in 2022, there were 62,000. 36 brand new missions were just created, the highest in the history of the church. And so, yes, there's a lot of bad news out there. The world is spiraling, right? The world, The world is out of control. But as the world is out of control, you can rest assured that the kingdom of God will continue to roll forward. And that gives me great faith to be part of the Lord's church here on the earth and that we to know that we need not fear. We need to move forward with faith. 
So let me share with you today five principles that can really help us navigate our way through a toxic world. And the first one is that we just can't worry about things that are out of our control. Now, I think, for example, as I've studied the life of Elder L. Tom Perry, I think Elder Perry was a worrier a little bit, just a little bit of a worrier. For, exa- for example, when uh, a little boy, the story was on the news years ago, wandered out of his home at night and was caught in, a, in horrible freezing weather and actually froze to death. Elder Perry made sure that he showed up in the, at the homes of his children and installed deadbolt locks on those doors so that could never happen to his grandchildren. Uh, on another occasion, uh, Elder Perry, his by the way, his son-in-law was sharing this experience with me, but he would make sure that when our my former state president, his son-in-law, and his wife, Elder Perry's daughter, Linda, whenever they bought a home, Elder Perry always had to inspect. He had to make sure there was no canal around or busy street or whatever so the kids would be safe. And that's what makes this next story amazing. He's with one of his daughters. They're on a plane. They're flying over the Pacific. And it's a two-engine plane. And one of the engines goes out. And at that point, the pilot comes on, explains the situation to the passengers. People are people are hysterical. They're freaking out. And Elder Perry just reclines back in his seat in the airplane. And his daughter says, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, you know what? Why worry about things that you can't control, right? Now, another worrier, and we may not know about this, these worriers, but it was Elder Richard G. Scott. And I love that Elder Scott was so willing to share his personal experience with anxiety in a BYU devotional. He said, the Lord taught me a great lesson about worry that I now share with you. After completing meaningful full-time missions, my lovely Janine and I were sealed in the temple. We began life together with every expectation of happiness. I was blessed through the kindness of the Lord to obtain a job in a new, highly developmental pioneer effort to place a nuclear power plant in a submarine. The work was fascinating, challenging, and absorbing, and when combined with the natural growth experiences that come with the formation of a new family and church assignments, I found each day filled to overflowing. Within eight months, I was being examined by a doctor to determine if I had ulcers. For weeks, I returned home from work each night with a severe headache. And only after long, quiet periods of isolation could I calm my nerves sufficiently to sleep briefly and return to work the next day. I began to prayerfully consider my plight. All I wanted to do was be a worthy husband and father and honorably carry out my church and professional assignments. Yet my best efforts produced frustration, worry, and illness. In time, the Lord led me to a solution. I was prompted to divide mentally and physically where possible all the challenges, tasks, and assignments given to me into two categories. All of the things for which I felt responsibility for, but for which I could do nothing to resolve, I placed in a basket called worry. And then all of those things for which I had some ability to control and resolve, I put into a basket called concern. I realized I could not resolve those things in the worry basket, so I tried hard to forget them. Later in the process, I learned that putting them in the worry basket didn't mean they wouldn't be taken care of. They were resolved by those who could best handle them, and most often that was the Lord himself. The items in the concern basket were ordered in priority. I conscientiously tried to resolve them to the best of my ability, although I I could not always fulfill all of them on schedule or to the degree of competence I desired, I did my very best. 
And as I was learning to control worry, occasionally I would feel my stomach muscles tighten and tension would come over me. I would cease whatever I was doing and with earnest prayer for support, I would concentrate on relaxing and overcoming the barrier that worry was producing in my life. I would mentally say, I am not going to do another thing until I begin to control my emotions. Over a period of time, those efforts were blessed by the Lord, and I came to understand how He is willing to fortify, guide, and direct every phase of life. The symptoms of the illness passed, and I learned how to face tasks under pressure. So this is a great exercise for all of us, right? There are some things that are just out of our control. War, economy, weather. You know, you go down the list and there are other things that are in our control, like perhaps maybe our our finances or some of the problems in our families or maybe even a problem or two at work or in our church assignments that we may have some control over. And I've learned with anxiety that if there's something that we can resolve, you know, one of the first waves of anxiety is, okay, what is the problem and is there anything we can do to fix that problem first? before we do anything else. And sometimes you can, right? I know there were times in my life where I'd look at my wife and say, you know, my knee is really bothering me. It hurts all the time. Looking for some sympathy, right? I can say this because Janie's not here today. And she'd say, go to the doctor. I mean, if, you're, if your knee's bothering you, just go get it fixed, right? It was, I'm like, okay, I just wanted to whine and, and complain about it, I guess. But anyway, all right. So principle one is that we can't worry about things we, that are out of our control. Principle number two is that we can be grateful regardless of our circumstances. I guess it's easy to be grateful when you're surrounded by awesome, incredible material things and good people and a good life and you're healthy. But can we be grateful when our circumstances aren't so great? So many of us are doing pretty good at counting our blessings and the scriptures and the teachings of our prophets are full brimming with principles regarding gratitude. For example, the Book of Mormon, Alma 37, we are to uh, arise daily with hearts full of thanks unto God. And in Alma 34, 38, we should live in Thanksgiving daily. That's right, celebrating Thanksgiving every day, not just a seasonal thing. But could you imagine how wonderful our lives could be if we were focused on our blessings instead of our trials, struggles, and disappointments? Here's Joseph Smith. If you will thank the Lord with all of your heart every night for all the blessings of that day, you will eventually find yourself exalted in the celestial kingdom. Guys, that's that's a pretty powerful promise. There is a great link also, a great association between happiness and gratitude. Gratitude is the key to living a happy, optimistic, and joyful life. And so if you're anxious, sad, depressed, blue, start to count your blessings, right? And that happiness will return. Elder Joseph B. Worthland just summed it up this way. He said, I believe that many people are unhappy because they haven't learned to be grateful. Another author said it this way, that all happy people are grateful and ungrateful people cannot be happy because gratitude is the key to happiness and that anything that undermines gratitude undermines happiness as well. So we know that gratitude and happiness are deeply connected. But there's one more piece to this that's so significant to me. And that's something that President Uddorf taught. What was his talk called? Grateful in any circumstance. He taught that we can learn to be grateful regardless of what our challenges and circumstances are in life. And that no matter how difficult life can be, 
There's always something that we can be grateful for. It might sound contrary, he said, to the wisdom of the world to suggest that one who is burdened with sorrow should give thanks to God. But those who set aside the bottle of bitterness and lift instead the goblet of gratitude can find a purifying drink of healing, peace, and understanding. And when we're grateful to God in any circumstance, we can experience gentle peace in the midst of tribulation. In grief, we can lift our hearts in praise. In pain, we can glory in Christ's atonement. In the cold of bitter sorrow, we can experience the closeness and warmth of heaven's embrace. You know, I thought about this. We've thought about this. Janie and I have thought about this a lot in our lives as we've had bad things happen. And as we've thought about it and considered our plight, we've recognized that there's always something to be grateful for. Okay, so our boat broke down in the middle of the lake, but it just so happened there was only one other boat on the lake and they were the one right next to us and came and helped pull us off. By the way, when you have like a 20-year-old boat, that happens a lot. Or let's say your car breaks down somewhere and we've had that happen in weird places, but we've also said to ourselves, isn't it amazing that our car broke down right in this town on this trip that we were on? We could have This could have broken down a hundred miles from any civilization and it actually broke down right in the middle of town where we were able to get help, right? Or that we may have an illness and just happen to find a doctor who knows how to deal with that. Or sometimes when things get really bad, we, we recognize that, okay, well, we're still alive, okay? So we're still alive. We're, we're still here. Our prophet, President Nelson, is the master of teaching us about gratitude. And some of you may remember in his worldwide message, The Healing Power of Gratitude, November the 20th, 2020, he taught us that we can be grateful in any circumstance. He said 16 years ago, my wife Dantel and I were sitting on the sofa holding hands while we watched television and suddenly she collapsed. Despite being well-trained to treat the very thing that ended her life, I could not save my own wife. Dancel and I were blessed with nine daughters and one son. Tragically, I've lost two daughters to cancer, and no parent is prepared to lose a child. And yet, despite these and other difficult experiences, I am incredibly grateful eternally for so very many things. I'm grateful to God for the nearly 60 years Dancel and I shared together, for a lifetime of love and joy and cherished memories. And I thank him for my wife, Wendy whom I met after Dancel's passing. Wendy now fills my life with joy. And I am grateful to God for the years I had with my two departed daughters. He said, this father's heart melts when I see attributes of those girls in the precious faces of their children and grandchildren. What a great perspective from a prophet. So principle number two, that we can be grateful in any circumstance. Principle number three, we can have joy in any circumstance. As I've participated in some meetings this past week, it's been amazing to me. Sometimes you've had, some of you have had this happen. But in every meeting I've been in, from a meeting on Saturday to two meetings on Sunday, and then to classes this week at Brigham Young University, Rejoice the Lord is King has been sang over five or six times. And I'm like, I think the Lord's trying to tell me something here. I need to rejoice a lot more. I've also been really interested in all the training that I've received in the last month from our church leaders. One of the themes has been joy and happiness, and joy and happiness in any circumstance. I love that. Or in other words, our leaders are telling us that, look, 
despite the craziness of this world, we can still be happy. We are not supposed to be doom and gloom. Now here's President Nelson. He's so good at this again. We're talking about joy. So he says, as conflicts between nations escalate, as cowardly terrorists prey on the innocent, and as corruption in everything from business to government becomes increasingly commonplace, what can help us? What can help each of us with our personal struggles and with the rigorous challenges of living in these latter days? He said the prophet Lehi taught a principle for spiritual survival. Lehi knew opposition. He knew anxiety, heartache, pain, and disappointment and sorrow. Yet he declared boldly and without reservation a principle as revealed by the Lord that men are that they might have joy. Imagine of all the words he could have used to describe the nature and purpose of our lives here in mortality. He chose the word joy. And life is filled with detours and dead ends, trials and challenges of every kind. Each of us has likely had times when distress, anguish, and despair almost consumed us, yet we're here to have joy. And yet, a question mark right there. And then our prophet, President Nelson, shared this story. He was Elder Nelson at the time of this talk. He said, Eliza R. Snow, the second general president of the Relief Society, offered a riveting answer. Because of Missouri's infamous extermination order issued at the onset of the grueling winter of 1838, she and other saints were forced to flee the state that very winter. One evening, Eliza's family spent the night in a small log cabin used by refugee saints. Much of the chinking between the logs had been extracted and burned for firewood by those who preceded them, and so there were holes between the logs large enough for a cat to crawl through. This does not sound insulated at all, right? It was bitter cold, and their food was frozen solid. That night, some 80 people huddled inside that small cabin, only 20 feet square. If you can imagine having, what I would say, 80 people in something like the bishop's office at your warder at your stake, 20 feet square, most sat or stood all night trying to keep warm. Outside, a group of men spent the night gathered around a roaring fire with some singing hymns and others roasting frozen potatoes. Eliza recorded, not a complaint was heard. All were cheerful, and judging from appearances, strangers would have taken us to be pleasure excursionists rather than a band of gubernatorial exiles, she said. Eliza's report of that exhausting, bone-chilling evening was strikingly optimistic. She declared, here's the quote, that was a very merry night, she said. None but saints can be happy under every circumstance. And then President Nelson said, that's it right there. That's it. Saints can be happy under every circumstance. We can feel joy even while having a bad day, a bad week, or even a bad year. And then this great, great statement, I've believed it for a long time. My dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. Life is all about what we choose to focus on. I'm a big believer in that. Whatever we choose to focus on, that is what our life becomes. And that determines our happiness or our sadness. Then President Nelson, back to him, he said, For example, it doesn't seem possible to feel joy when your child suffers with an incurable illness, or when you lose your job, or when your spouse betrays you. Yet that is precisely the joy the Savior offers. His joy is constant, assuring us that our affliction shall be for a small moment and be consecrated to our gain. 
We can give thanks for him in our prayers and by keeping covenants we've made with him and our Heavenly Father. As the Savior becomes more and more real to us and we plead for his joy to be given to us, our joy will increase. You know, I'm thinking as I'm talking here for a minute of a couple of experiences. One of them was shared by Elder Rendlin. You know, you know that Elder Rendlin spent a lot of time in Africa. In fact, specifically, he was in central Congo. And he asked the members what challenges they were facing, but they couldn't think of any challenges. He asked a second time. Finally, an old gentleman in the back of the room stood and said, Elder Renlin, how can we have any challenges? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then reflecting on that experience, Elder Renlin said, I want to be like these Congolese saints who pray for food every day, are grateful every day for food, are grateful for their families. They have nothing, and yet they have everything. The second experience was associating rubbing shoulders with a man in our ward in Mesa, Arizona years ago, who was probably the happiest man that I knew. He just always had a smile. He was always so joyful. And I just thought, wow, this guy's so happy. I don't, I'm not sure why. But anyway, I learned later that his wife had a terminal illness and that he had a weight on her. And, and he had to give her the constant 24-hour round-the-clock care. And she, uh, she didn't even recognize him or who, you know, who he was. And when I learned that, I was so shocked. I was like, are you kidding me? This guy's so happy. And yet... He has to go home every day to that challenging situation. And it was a great reminder that, yes, we can be happy. We can be joyful under any circumstances. Now, the next principle, I'll call this one principle four. And I'm going to use Elder Pearson's words, his verbiage of stay by the tree. I know that if we stay close to the scriptures and more specifically to the Book of Mormon, And here's Elder Pearson, every day, every day, every day. And as we couple that with studying the words of our living prophets, we'll have peace, we'll have joy, we'll have happiness, we'll have safety. I know it. It's like a law. It just has to happen that way. I'm going to quote Elder Pearson for a minute. He says, life's journey is challenging. It's easy to be distracted, wander off the path and get lost. Tribulation is inevitable and an indispensable part of our eternal progression. When diversity comes... Don't let something you don't fully understand unravel everything else you do know. Be patient and cling to the truth, and understanding will come. Trials are like great great mists of darkness that can blind our eyes and harden our hearts. And unless we're continually holding fast to the Word of God and living it, we can become spiritually blinded rather than spiritually minded. So search the Book of Mormon in the words of our living prophets. Here it is, every day, every day, every day. It's the key to spiritual survival and avoiding deception. Without it, we're spiritually lost. I believe it's the key to great happiness and hope and faith. Now, here's Elder Christofferson in that talk I've been referring to today, to trust in God. He said, we have an incomparable opportunity with this year's course of study, the Book of Mormon. No other scripture so clearly lays out the plan of redemption. No other volume teaches more persuasively the reality and meaning of the atonement of Jesus Christ, no other part of the scripture canon, possesses the converting power of the Book of Mormon. And in its witness that Jesus is the Christ and that he's overcome death, both physical and spiritual, the Book of Mormon is a plain exposition of gospel truth and the joy that is found in following gospel commandments. Its narrative is filled with examples of overcoming 
The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And the virtue of the Word of God is that it produces the faith, faith in the Savior, faith that pushes out the doubt, depression and anxiety that might otherwise overwhelm us and leave us in their places of strength and reassurance. Now, isn't that a cool line? That the because the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, it can produce faith in Christ, the kind of faith that pushes out the doubt and depression and anxiety that could overwhelm us. So yes, principle number four, let's immerse ourselves in the scriptures and particularly Book of Mormon. That's how we navigate our way through a toxic world. And then the last principle is to look to God and live, to look to Jesus Christ, to keep our eyes and our minds riveted upon him. All of us remember the story in Matthew chapter 14, when Peter tries to walk on the water, and he walks on the water longer than any mortal I'm aware of. But when Peter turned, takes his eyes off the Savior, when he looks to the right and to the left, and he sees the waves crashing in among him, and he feels the wind and the water splashing on his face, he begins to doubt and he begins to sink. And he reaches out and says, Lord, save me, right? This is why that scripture in Doctrine and Covenants 636 is one that I want all of my children and grandchildren to memorize. And we just memorized it with one of our grandchildren recently. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Yeah, build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the rock. And the rock is not going to move. No matter how hard the challenges are, no matter how heavy the wind blows, no matter how strong the storm is, if we are anchored to that rock, we are not going anywhere. It's Christ that can heal us from our fears. He's the one that can help us to have an eternal perspective. He's the one that can calm our troubled hearts and bring peace to our souls. He's the Prince of Peace. And so we need to rely on Him because He can calm every storm and make everything right. Now, here's what Elder Christofferson said about this. He said, An understanding of our Heavenly Father's plan of redemption, especially the key element of that plan, which is the atonement of Jesus Christ, provides ultimate reassurance. It builds and preserves spiritual and emotional resilience, knowing the why of our existence and our purpose in mortal life. We teach by precept and example to whom they may look for deliverance and support. And so let the Savior's words live in your hearts. And he quotes Christ saying, to be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then Elder Christofferson said, our covenants bind us to him. And with him, we also overcome the world, he said. Now, we can help students, because he's talking, remember, to seminary and institute personnel. We can help students and others establish their personal foundation on the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, so that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds. We're quoting Helaman 5.12 now, right? Yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, and when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon them, it shall have no power over them to drag them down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. And then listen closely to the words of a prophet, President Nelson. The Lord has declared that despite today's unprecedented challenges, those who build their foundation upon Jesus Christ and have, and have learned to draw upon his power need not succumb to the unique anxieties of this era, he said. Isn't that powerful? You know, one of my experiences is I've been able to associate in my 
life with those who have been through tragic circumstances. I've watched closely and I've watched and noticed that those who build on the rock, whose foundation is on Christ himself, those are the families that have made it through some difficult situations. I also take great comfort, not just from the scriptures, but from the words of our living prophets. And there are two prophets I'd like to quote from as we conclude today. One, one of my favorites, President Gordon B. Hinckley. He said this, of course there are times of sorrow and of course there are hours of concern and anxiety. We all worry, but the Lord has told us to lift our hearts and rejoice. President Hinckley said that I see so many people who seem to never see the sunshine, but who constantly walk with storms under cloudy skies, cultivate an attitude of happiness and cultivate a spirit of optimism. Walk with faith. Rejoicing the beauties of nature and the goodness of those you love and the testimony which you carry in your heart concerning things divine. Well, I think that would make anyone's day as we walk in the spirit of optimism and in faith. Now, another one comes from another favorite of mine, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. Here's what he said. Back to that talk, terror, triumph, and a wedding feast. He said, is there a happy future for you and your posterity in these latter days? Absolutely, he said. Most assuredly, you have a beautiful future. Will there be difficult times when those ominous Latter-day warnings and prophecies are fulfilled? Of course there will. There have always been, but be prepared. Will those who have built upon the great rock of Christ withstand such winds, such hail, and the mighty shafts in the whirlwind? You know that they will. You have it on good word. You have it on his word. Because those who build on the rock, it's a sure foundation and they cannot fall. You know, this all reminds me of just the word gospel itself. The word gospel means glad tidings or good news. Aren't you grateful that we have the full gospel in every way? I know that I am. One of the things I have learned as I've studied the lives of our living prophets and apostles is that they are all optimistic and hopeful and full of faith. I love how that rubs off on us. I love that our prophet said in the days that we live, we'll see more miracles than at any other time in the history of the world. I love all the promises that we've been given. True disciples of Christ are hopeful, happy, and optimistic. And I hope for all of us that having the gospel in our lives has made a huge difference. I know that I remember hearing a talk by one of our general authorities many years ago, and he said, if there's anything that really gets me down and is a little bit depressing to me, is when I travel throughout the church and I meet members of the church who are just down, who are just full of gloom and doom. And he said, of all people, we should be the happiest. We should be the most hopeful. And we should be the most faithful meaning full of faith. And I totally agree. True disciples are faithful and hopeful and optimistic. It's one of the great characteristics of the God that we worship, that he is full of faith and hope and optimism and happiness. And when it says the men are that they might have joy in the book of Second Nephi, there is no asterisk next to that suggesting that well, only when things are great, only when you're at Disneyland, only when you're on a cruise ship. No. That was meant for us in the day that we live in. What a great Christ-like attribute to be able to be happy and joyful 
regardless of whatever our circumstances may be. So when it comes to LDS, let's do something. I'm reminded of a great little intervention that we used as parents when our children were younger. In fact, when they were kind of young teenagers, and they were starting to get a little snippy and a little sarcastic and a little critical of maybe their parents or their siblings and a little bit negative is for every negative thing they said, we would have them write down five positive things. Now, I'm not telling you to, to exercise uh, this way. I'm telling you that this is a great thing for us to do, is to maybe count our blessings every day. Uh, and once again, I know that the next level of that is, is to have gratitude regardless of the circumstance. But what if every day we wrote down a few things that we were grateful for? How different would our life be if we had that kind of focus instead of a deficit perspective where we're always wishing and wondering that life was so much better and that other generations may have had it easier? What are the great blessings in our life? Let's recognize those. I think a great high level of spirituality was taught to us by President Henry B. Eyring, who one of his children said that every night our father prays this way, Heavenly Father, what blessings do I have that I'm not aware of? Isn't that an incredible level of spirituality? How about that for an invitation as well? To just pray to ask our Heavenly Father to help us recognize the blessings that we have that we may not even be aware of. Well, everyone, I've missed Janie today. I've missed our banter back and forth, but I hope this was okay for you. I hope there are some great truths here that you could share with a member of your family or a friend that would brighten their day and uh, to help them to be happy and hopeful and optimistic. Well, until then, we'll see you next time. I hope you have a great week.